0: Hosting provided by Host Tornado. They offer website hosting packages, dedicated servers and VPS solutions. hostt.net
1: Programming Throwdown, episode 23, Hadoop. Take it away, Jason.
0: Hey everybody. So we're uh, we actually got a pretty awesome question um, from the audience that we want to kind of start we have the an show audience. I thought it was just you and me and our moms. <laughs> so yeah, our mom had this awesome question. It was, "How's it going?" Wait, wait
1: not our 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 mom doesn't make any sense. Oh yeah, no,
0: that, never mind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Your mom? <laughs> my mom. This sounds like we're making bad mom mom jokes, but I'm not really. Yeah, like.
0: I think I think I just dissed my own mom. Anyway. Oh. So, so Marco Aurelio sent in a question, and um, he's looking at doing some C sharp net Um, coding for a website that he's interested in making and um, he was sort of interested his question was uh, you know he knows that like you know server side stuff you know the code and the the CPU is used on the server and so if you have you know one user you're using some amount of CPU if you have a thousand users you're using you know maybe not a thousand times but the CPU scales up right so his question is how can you, big websites, like is it true that big websites like eBay and Amazon and things like that, you know, run things on the server side? And how do they do that? And how did the server not explode? Uh, and then along those lines, like what languages should he focus on learning?
1: Yeah, so I mean it sounds like he had a he had a question there. He has an idea. And yeah. so his idea was to kind of kind of build a website, but he's worried about it scaling what technology he's gonna choose. Yeah, totally. So so you I have a slightly, slightly different, different answer, and mine is that I think sometimes in the tech community and as engineers, uh, you know, you over-engineer things, so this is yeah. a classical problem. And so having the issue where you can't scale your website because you're growing too fast uh, would be like a very good problem to have. I mean, there are yeah. certain things you don't want to do to aggravate it, or especially if you get to the point where somebody's funding you or you're making a lot of money and your website goes down and people are depending on you, right, that's a really bad problem. Right. But when you just have an idea, it is more important to get the idea out there, to start working on it, to find other issues like, okay, people, I need to shift this idea slightly or I need to do this, than to spend tons and tons of money trying, you know, like uh, if you ever read about some of these people that started like uh, Google, you know, it was two guys and some university equipment or, you know, Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook, you know, it was just like running in his dorm room off his computer, right? Like, I mean, none of these things started with like, I'm going to start with 10,000 computers <laughs> yeah, right. and I'm going to serve millions of... I mean, that's how you go bankrupt, right? Did,
0: did you know... So like, Sorry to interject, but Stack Overflow, the website that has you know many questions right. and answers for programmers, it actually started with the two founders answering all the questions themselves.
1: Nice. Yeah,
0: isn't that crazy? So they just... And I don't even... I think they were talking about it. They didn't even have a website. Like, they had this forum where you'd click Submit and then they would create a .HTML file with your question Aww. and answer. like That's how they started, and now Stack Overflow is gigantic. There's like probably thousands of questions a second, right? Right,
1: yeah. And I mean, I think even you take that example, right? So there's an idea, and you can read a lot about this. A lot has been written, and this isn't exactly an entrepreneurial show. I don't think I said that correctly. I think it's pretty entrepreneurial. But, uh, okay, we're kind of. Okay, All right. All right. Um, But minimally viable product, that's right. kind of like a word, right? So the idea there is, in fact, don't even make a back-end to yep. Jason's example here of Stack Overflow, whether it be urban legend or true, <laughs> the internet shall tell away tell us. Yeah. But uh, you know, if you just make a front end that looks like what the website would, people can kind of try it out and test it. You can get a ton of feedback and save yourself days, months, years of development time. So that's kind of where to start. And then um, you know, from there, you can kind of, Jason will kind of address like how, how does that work? Like how does one serve millions of users a second? Yeah. An hour? A day. Uh, Millions I, I of users know, a day, let's go with there.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but to Patrick's point Just to wrap that up the, uh, You know, even when I was making the uh, Trivipedia That trivia, you know, Wikipedia thing I started off with just, you know Having just a flat file And you just scan through that file for everything So if I needed to find a user by the name I had to search through the whole file Of like thousands of users Or hundreds of users to find that one uh, There's no index Millions of users? Yeah, well, that's the thing. So it grew to where, you know, there's, let's say, I think now there's, what, like 2,000 monthly active users. And so let's say there's 100,000 users in the system. So I couldn't do that anymore. Like, I couldn't just scan through all the usernames. And so I had to, you know, I ended up making ZombieDB, which is open source. And I think I posted on the podcast on G+, on the podcast page about that. But uh, So I had to actually make a database, but that came months later, right? And if Trivipedia, if, if no one was interested in it, then I, I would have saved myself the trouble of having to make that database, right? And I probably saved myself the trouble of doing other things, which I would have done if there were millions of users, right? So yeah, to Patrick's point, you totally want to start small. Don't worry too much about your server blowing up or anything like that. But now let's answer the question from a tech standpoint. Like, well, how does this work, right? Like, do all these guys like Amazon and Google and eBay, do they all just write JavaScript or do they, you know, do stuff on the server? So they do things on the server and it works through a process called sharding. And uh, Patrick has sort of helped me out here, but I'm going to take a first crack at it. Um, typically, you'll go to, let's say, Amazon.com. What will happen is that'll go to a front end server. So this server will get your request, and it'll say, and there's several front-end servers all around the globe. So you'll go to the front-end server that's closest to you. So it'll take your request, and it'll say, okay, what servers are pretty, you know, uh, lightly loaded? And the servers themselves, the backends, are constantly telling the front end, hey, um, you know, I I'm not busy, or hey, I'm slammed processing people's orders, right? So the front-end server will look for a server that's not busy, and then redirect you to that server. So then, uh, you'll go to your request will go to, through to that server, which will do all the things like query the database, see if you're logged in, do all that all that stuff. And keep in mind, the database itself is on another server. So so you have set of servers. Yeah, yeah, set of servers. And so there's this other process going on where the database has a front end, which you know keeps keeps the, the load pretty balanced among all those database servers. And so this process of having all of these machines sort of working together and having the least used machine you know, handling your request is what keeps websites like Amazon and eBay up and running. And a big part of you know, doing this isn't, you know, what we're going to talk about on this show, Hadoop, is more for like batch processing. It's not things that you're going to do you know, in real time when you're accepting a web request which is a big part of doing anything on the web or with big data involves sort of h- managing many different machines and routing work to one machine or the other, so. That's right.
1: Yep. And so, so I mean, uh, yeah, and I think there exists server backend technology for many of the most common languages right. for people to write in. I mean, there's even Node.js, so you can write JavaScript on the back-end and, and use yep. that as a server. You know, you can, just like all the major, I mean, Java, C++, I would assume C Sharp as well. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's all these things have um, back-end pieces that you can write to. There's middleware kind of stuff, let's call it, that handles this load balancing and splitting, and then you write your server and your language on the back. So it's, I mean, it's a, a slightly more than what language to use. It's kind of like understanding this underlying, and the problem. But you don't really know where the scaling problem is going to have until you really are kind of almost done.
0: Right. So totally.
1: something like uh, if if you think about like a, a slashdot, let's take slashdot, right? So they have news stories which are being displayed, but that their bottlenecks are going to be very different than a site like eBay, which is handling transactions and a counting down auction, or Amazon, which has to handle you know uh, when something sells out and they have no more and they don't want to oversell something. Yep. Right. These things are there's amounts of traffic, there's hits on data. I mean those things are going to have different bottlenecks at different amounts along the growth curve of users. And, you know, on how many transactions are being handled and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you really kind of, if you solve it too early, you risk solving the wrong problem.
0: Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah.
1: So, all right, well, on to our news. News. So, like, so I have the first one. All right. Or, or, Okay, yeah, so I'm doing the first one. <laughs> I, I saw an article linked today on Hacker News, which is interesting, about the fast Fourier transform. So... This is real this is kind of like a FY. It's not exactly news, it's not something updated, but it was a pretty good article. I, I kind of enjoyed reading it. So I have a little bit of background with what the Fourier transform is. Yep. So uh, without getting into the deep math. Uh, <laughs> and this, like this guy does a good job of explaining it thoroughly, but not if you just kind of skim read it, you know you can also kind of get the gist. So, Fourier transform. Oh, and there's code too. Which yes. Is pretty cool. And he even posts like more detailed. This website's actually very interesting. We'll have to take a look at more and see if there's any other articles to would be really interesting to you guys. Or you guys just take a look and figure it out on your own. <laughs> yeah. But he covers a wide range of topics. But a Fourier transform in brief is going from the time domain to the frequency domain. So, if you have some data that over time changes, so the example he uses is uh, audio recording so you have digital samples over time and you're interested to say what are the most common or most prominent frequencies in that sound clip Mm -hmm. then you want to transform from that time data to frequency data which says you know at 80 Kilohertz. I don't know if that's too high. I'm not good with my audio. Uh,
0: I think that's right. Okay, maybe forty. I don't so know. okay, some some
1: number of hertz. You know <laughs> that this is the peak signal. So like, oh okay. You know maybe that gives you some information, or you want to do some sort of uh, uh, mutation of the signal and then transpose it back. But this is something that's very common. You'll come across it a lot in a large amount of domains: image yeah. processing, audio processing. Um, I mean, even stuff that seems completely unrelated, it can come up. Um, but yeah.
0: Yeah, compression of all sorts and things like that. Yeah.
1: And um, this article uh, talks about a specific kind of version of that, the fast Fourier transform, and also the discretized, discrete version of that. So um, going from math to kind of practical there and uh, a lot of the implications. So it's a pretty good treatment. So if you've ever heard of that and wondered what it was or trying to learn more about it, um, I would definitely check out this. This article seemed like a pretty good description.
0: Yeah, it's totally awesome. This is great. I'll have to give this a read. Cool. So I'm doing next article. It's on the. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no, that's uh, that's that guy who crashes through the window. Or the Kool Aid Man. Yeah, the Kool Aid Man. The Kool Aid Man's coming out with a console. What? Pretty awesome. Yeah. Hopefully, it's like bullshit. And you could pour, but anyways. So the oh yeah is coming out. I'm pretty excited about it. I, I haven't ordered one because uh, Patrick has scared me off of Kickstarter. <laughs> but but I'm super interested in oh yeah. Um, I still might order one off their website, even though the Kickstarter is finished. But, um, okay, so is it available for ordering off their website? Yeah, you can actually oh, pre-order cool. it. Is it the same price? Um, a little bit more? Uh, I'll find out. Oh, it's okay. But basically, you can order on the website. and It comes, I think, in March or April. Um, but it is a... For people who missed the episode on the Oya, oh yeah, it is a... I guess I'd describe it as an Android powered console. So it's, so it's a console with a controller and, and all this good stuff, but it's totally Android. So any existing Android games you can play using the touchpad on the on the controller. And any new Android games will be able to support the hardware buttons of the OYA. Oh yeah. And... Uh, it's pretty awesome because we've never. We should had say it hooks this, up to the right? TV,
1: so it's not like a phone. Oh yeah, it, it, it's a little box that plugs into your TV, just like uh, Xbox. Yeah, or, or
0: PS3 or something. We've never had an open system, so a little bit of history on consoles. Um, the way the PlayStation and Nintendo, uh, you know, Wii and Xbox, the way these things work is, um, well, unless you're Nintendo and you're awesome. But let's talk about everybody besides <laughs> Nintendo. The way that these work is you lose money on the console. So like every time you buy a PlayStation. The play uh, Sony loses money well, on Well, initially.
1: That. I don't know if it... That doesn't normally hold true over the whole life of the console.
0: Uh, oh, because they're... Well, no, they're cheaper. of a... Sca- over, okay. Oh, Continue. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I see interruption. You. So th- the point is, you at least... They don't make a ton of money, I suffice it to say. On, That's on, on not the,
1: that. mo- the main way they make money. Right. Yes. So
0: they actually make money by charging developers for a dev kit. So, for example, if you want to make a PlayStation 3 game... Then you buy this dev kit, and the dev kit has a little bit of hardware, but I don't even know if they have hardware nowadays. It's probably all in software or firmware. But but they'll send you probably a PS3 with some special firmware. But they'll charge you for the dev kit, I think it's like $200,000 for a dev kit. And the only reason why the price is so high is so that they can recoup some of the money. And the idea is, you know, people who buy your game are going to... You know, are going to give you money, and you're going to give some of that money, pass it along to the to the hardware manufacturer. So. Well,
1: no, I mean, so it's worse than that, right? So I mean, it's that for every copy sold, they have to they put DRM on the game. So if you don't have, but it's I guess this is kind of almost re- slightly different than normal DRM, which is that if I have own media, but that media is not signed by Nintendo, I can't play my media on the Nintendo device. Right. So so the you have to go to Nintendo, and they you know, I'm doing air quotes here. They <laughs> test your software to make sure it's not going to break the console, or isn't a virus, or yep. you know, anyone it doesn't crash. It's good, right? And then basically, with their permission, then you can turn around and you're allowed to sell that game. But they, you owe them. You know, X percent or dollar amount. Oh, that's true. Some of per everything that share. you sign, yeah, that's yep. the most. Com- I think I believe that's like a very common way.
0: Yeah, I think there's an initial out. like like one or two hundred k investment just to keep like the small people out of the market, and then there's also a rev share. So this is talking to a friend of mine who works for EA like a long time ago, so it might be different now, but um, but yeah. So so the, the 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 point of it is, you know, Patrick and I can't make a game for the PlayStation Three, right? I mean, we just don't like. Uh, have those resources at hand right so you have to be a big publisher or or nintendo has to come to you like world of goo is a common example where they're a really popular indie game um they do really well in flash and i think they were out on mobile even before the wii and then nintendo contacted them and some agreement was arranged etc um the thing about the OUYA is it's a completely open platform. So like any game that anybody puts out for Android, like Trivopedia, you could play it on the OUYA, like any Android program out there will run. And so it's really just sort of opens up the game console experience to like, to the whole world of developers. And that's what's really exciting to me. So. And
1: the general trend has been that along those lines, right? So like even the Xbox, yep. there's like, was it Xbox Live Arcade? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, maybe I'm pushing. I think PlayStation has something similar and We U has something similar. Yep. And even maybe the Wii did. Right? So the main games that you go to, you know, Toys R Us or Target or Best Buy or I don't know where everybody goes these days. <laughs> Whatever you're your, in your country the local equivalent is to buy buy a game. Right, there's those, which is kind of what we're talking about. But then there's these others, but those still have limitations. Like I remember reading something about when Minecraft came out for the Xbox, right? So they had some people doing this and then they had an update and then it was like, oh, if they wanted to update it like a patch again, you're supposed to go through all this testing again, but that testing costs money. So like, it's like a thing like you can't, they wanted to just push it early and push it often, but that didn't, like that was not compatible with how the money was set up and so it caused kind of a problem.
0: Yeah, yep, totally.
1: And so sometimes people leave kind of like broken, broken games because they just don't have money to to push a fix for it, and
0: that's bad. And the other problem too is, although there is an Xbox Live Arcade, there isn't a developer, there's a developer ecosystem, but not to the extent of these open platforms. Like Could be, yeah. Yeah, like for yeah. example, we talked on last year with that Cocos 2DX, which is, it's not a game, it's just a library that you can use to make games. Well, for you to do that on Xbox Live Arcade, I'm assuming you would have to be able to like publish like the library, like, I'm not quite sure how that would work, but on an open platform, you just give all the source code and the person can take your source code and link in the the Android libraries, and it just kind of works, so. The ecosystem is much more healthy on Android.
1: And so this is a very positive development, right? So like, Ouya is on track. They started shipping the developer consoles, which are very similar to the regular consoles, but already kind of like opened up so the developers can do what they need to do, run unsigned code, that kind of stuff. And so this is a positive Kickstarter story.
0: Yay, Kickstarter. So
1: hopefully they'll stay on track, and early next year we'll be talking about the reviews of Jason's Ouya console.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. All right, so I think you have one now. All right, so. uh, The
1: future of the web. The future of the web would be HTML8. No, oh, no, no, man. Holy Maybe that's, cow. that's far in the future. HTML5. Yeah, at this rate, that's
0: like the year three thousand.
1: <laughs> it's finalized. This is, you know, this is one of those. Sto- I, I mean, it's kind of interesting just just to talk about that. I, I think it's kind of slow. These uh, ratification of these things, yep. like we've already kind of entered the HTML5 zone in my mind. Like, I'll, like it's generally used, right? But yet, only just now did everybody kind of agree on what that meant to some extent. Yep. Which still doesn't really mean anything because. All sorts of reasons. But you hear this, like, remember when uh, wireless... Wi Fi in 802.11 in was coming out, right? It was draft in. You could buy draft in routers. Oh, yeah, I remember. And draft in routers weren't guaranteed to be compatible with in. And then, like, a year or two later, right? Then it was like, oh, now you can get the actual in ones. Yep. I mean, it's just, or uh, I remember too, like, C, right? Even that went through this whole thing about, oh, we're going to come up with a new C oh, that OX. Took so long, and it took yeah. over 10 years. And then <laughs> it was like, finally, C yeah. 11 or whatever. It's hilarious. So, I mean, it just sometimes we forget that, like, the world moves on past these standards bodies, but the standards bodies do play an important role in kind of saying like, this is, you know, what HTML5 really is and really contains. But even then it's not done. Like they still have other work to do to kind of make sure everything's okay. It's not like finalized doesn't mean like it's done. It means like, oh, now we can move to testing and compatibility and, you know, actually making it an official like HTML5 Thing.
0: Yeah, it's really just almost like a social or political thing. It's basically, you know, like let's say everyone complains about Internet Explorer, right? Especially older versions of Internet Explorer. Like Internet Explorer 5 doesn't do what, you know, Firefox and Chrome of the same era do. Or maybe 5 is too old. But, but you see what I'm going with this. So this is their way of saying, you know, HTML5 is real. You can make content for it. And if someone doesn't support it, that's on them, <laughs> you know? And and so this it's, a, it's like a political thing to motivate people to, to switch. And I, I'm pretty sure uh, if you're using an old browser and you go to a website nowadays that has HTML5 content, they'll actually have a little link saying, hey, you know, your browser is super old. You can't display his website correctly. And, you know, and you should go get a new browser. Whereas, you know, before the specification was complete... They would just try and make it support everything. So, yeah, and I
1: mean, um, we should say also this is by the W3C Foundation or W3C Console. I don't know what the the C there is the actually. Consortium. W3C, oh, Consortium. Okay, yeah. thank you for saving me. No worries. Uh, the World Wide Web Consortium. Yes, okay. And, uh, you know, it, it is a good thing. It is, you know, that they've finalized it. And also, they've taken time to announce that they've begun the draft of HTML 5.1.
0: Woo! Oh, man, so did, did they keep the uh, peer-to-peer? HTML5 was supposed to have peer-to-peer support, but, like, no browsers had actually implemented it to this day. But, I mean, so basically what what that means is you could have a BitTorrent client totally written in HTML. Like, you just go to a website, and you just start torrenting, like, on, like, the site. You know, it's just craziness. And uh, I, I know I read an article where they said... Uh, you know, no browser will ever support this.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't see anything about it in my uh, research that I'm doing right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. All right, but we'll, it's okay. It's all right. Uh, maybe we'll have a future topic about this. Yeah, totally. All right, so I think you're on. You're up next. Tell me about some uh, sweet desserts.
0: Some sweet desserts? Well, I've just been eating some raspberry pie. Oh! Yes, been eating from the raspberry pie store. You bought raspberry pie at the store? I did. It was delicious. Yeah, it was, it was one of those Safeway specials, but you have to have the card where they harass you, you know, the Safeway club card. So, like, now it's like every time I go, they want me to buy another Raspberry Pi. I'm like, no, no, you people. So <laughs> Patrick is like, God. So, okay, so Raspberry Pi Store um, has just launched, what, today or a couple of days ago? But it's pretty cool. The idea is if you own a Raspberry Pi device, um, you can go to this store, you can download apps, um, assuming you somehow transfer them to the device. Maybe you download them with the device itself, and then um, you can just start using them. So, they have a number of free apps. There's Free Civ, the Civilization clone, um, some other free and open source games that, are, that seem to be ubiquitous. Like Battle of Wesnoth seems to be on every possible thing. Like, I have Battle of Wesnoth on my gumsticks, my phone like like three computers so a lot of these open source games it's just as soon as something new comes out they try and get themselves on there but um, there's a number of awesome things that you can uh that you can install some are free some cost money but if you have a raspberry pi or if you're thinking of getting one um definitely check out the uh, store.raspberrypi.com and see what's available
1: so is the raspberry pi the ouya before the ouya that's a good question, right? I mean, a lot it's of it's like these a store and a game, and it's a. I mean, it doesn't run Android, but I mean, shy of that, and it's not nice and bundled, and it's. But I mean, it's. Yeah, that's a
0: good point. You Actually, a uh, coworker of mine, I was telling him about the. Remember the Android stick PC that we mm-hmm. talked about on the yep. last show and how I want to get one for Christmas? And he was saying. But <laughs> do you really think you're going to get. I'm, I'm just like, you're going to buy one for yourself for Christmas? No. We should talk about things we want for Christmas. <laughs> but like, I, I, I normally, those kinds of things, is like, nobody, like, really? Like, who's going to so this is kind of so my parents ever since i was maybe like seven they've always just asked me what i want for christmas because they just they they don't know anything about like computers and things like that so so at tra- as tradition holds my mom asked me what i wanted for christmas and and, and just, you explained to her like go to this specific page pretty, I, I had to give the- her a link yeah yeah oh, okay uh, i had to give her a tiny url cool but cool. um but yeah so so uh you know you know, my coworker said, Well, you know, if you get this, then you're stuck with Android. You should get a you know, Raspberry Pi or a Beagle board or something. And and that is kind of true. Like if if you get Raspberry Pi, then you have just a pure Linux shell with you know, you know, you could sudo app you can install packages, you can do whatever you want. If you have Android, then you're stuck in the Android ecosystem. And so I haven't yet decided which route I'm gonna go. You already sent the link, dude. I haven't sent it yet. Oh. Yeah. Oh I, it's sitting in my uh like saved messages but not sent you know in gmail so uh yeah i'm holding on
1: okay all right well i guess we'll get an update about this uh this is the last one sure, we everyone do everyone wants i know don't
0: know what our, my mom's five. We're, we're recording <laughs> we're recording this before why no we want to find out
1: which, which camp you fell into which you decided ah, not okay. necessarily which you got for christmas gotcha but uh, I don't know if we'll release this before or after we're recording this before Christmas. So that's true.
0: Yeah, we're recording it in advance because we're both going to be gone for Christmas. So and New Year's. So uh, so we're right. recording some shows in advance. So uh, yeah. So yeah, we so, will find out. So
1: we will have already known what we will have gotten. Yeah. When, when you will have- when
0: you guys listen to this, I'll be playing with my. Oh, we just caused a quantum. What is it in Back to the Future where you you've broken the space time continuum? I don't know. Anyways, yes. <laughs> It's Time like, for a Tool of the Show. This is t- 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 Tool of the Show. Show, 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 show. So my Tool of the Show, show, show this show. is like the tool that I use more than anything. Like more hours of my day are spent using this tool than probably any other program or anything. Sledgehammer. <laughs> That's a... <laughs> Measuring tape. <laughs> yeah. It's called choose. Now, <laughs> So my Tool of the Show is Emacs. And... Uh, Emacs is a web editor, or sorry, Emacs is a text editor. Web editor. A, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> text editor, but it is so much more than that. It uh, has a ton of features, a ton of macros. You can have uh, like 20 files open in the editor at the same time. and you can do. Well, you can have infinity files open at the same time. And you can do things like find all occurrences of... Patrick and change it to gives Jason a hard time in all twenty files. Like you could just type escape and then find replace all files or whatever. So so it has a bunch of like little macros support and uh, it does has all these like cool tricks. It has a a color theme picker. You you have colors. So you start off with like you're blowing my mind. I know this is insane. You start off with like a white background and black text, which I just can't deal with. So uh, I pick the. the uh, Clarity theme, which has black text, like a, like a grayish, like not, not completely white because too much contrast, like a nice soft gray.
1: Coming next week, Jason's favorite Emacs theme. <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> and uh, just a bunch of cool macros. There's an Emacs wiki, which has just a ton of things to make your life easier. Like, for example, like just a short anecdote, you might have something like a file which has a number, colon, and then some text. And you just want the text after the colon. Like, you just want to get rid of the number and the colon, right? So, like, if you're just using Notepad, you'd have to do this by hand, line by line, right? But in Emacs, you just could Could you just
1: do it from the shell?
0: Yeah, you could write like a shell script to, like, you know, cat the file, go through set and oct, and things like that. But in Emacs, you actually do like a regular expression replace, like almost trivially. Or you could use something that had a column editor. A column editor? But what if it's, like, the colon moved a colon oh, because there's too many Oh, that's digits. true. Okay, that would yeah, be bad. Yeah, that would yeah. be bad. All right. You didn't so, fully specify the problem. So you could so, so tell Patrick thinks that Emacs is for people who, you know, are on magic mushrooms or something.
1: <laughs> Come on, man. Where are you going with this?
0: Oh, no. <laughs> They're trying to make us lose our clean rating. I guess it's still clean, but not, like...
1: What editors are you on, Patrick? I don't edit my code, man. I just think it. Oh, and really? then, like... You write in binary? I just have uh, telepathy <laughs> with the computer. Oh, that's pretty happy. Do you have all those headsets? Did you yes. You ever, that was such ah, a fad. I, I know. I wanted
0: to get one of those things that, like, read your brainwaves yeah. and, like, hack I, that. I tried one in Best Buy a year or two ago, and it had this, like, platformer game where if, like, you thought about moving right, it moved right. And uh, I could never get but you it.
1: You have to train. Work. I mean, almost all of them have always shown, like, you have to go through a set of, like, exercises. Oh, yeah. Like right. the old Dragon Dictionary thing where you'd have to, like, it yep. would translate yeah. the words you spoke or whatever or write them write them down you'd have to read like a chapter of shakespeare to yep. an act of shakespeare yeah. to uh, like train it so that's the yep. same thing like you need to go through some Thing to train at least now
0: i did that but maybe like oh. i could be pretty scatterbrained and so like i kind of think that when i was like i wasn't focusing on the training part of it
1: just remember there is no game <laughs> Yeah, there is no spoon <laughs> there is no spoon <laughs> so okay. what's
0: your tool to the show well okay so, uh, so i
1: dodged your question but uh, i haven't yeah. actually been in that weird camp of nerds who thinks uh, ide <laughs> is is like a, a an amazing invention of modern times where I can have 20 <laughs> files open, I can have colors, and oh I don't gosh. need these crazy thing called like these crazy escape key combination macro. Uh, um, that's my uh, that's my camp. Okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, oh, but yeah, uh, so no, I, I do appreciate that that sometimes you have to open up a shell and, and you have to do stuff there, and, and or you're SSH'd into a computer. Yeah, yes, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's like a, a thing of last resort, yes. Okay. So, in
0: other words, you're on the 21st century. But I just offended all of our audience. I be now. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure I might be the only person amongst our audience who uses Emacs. If you use Emacs, I think then, be, All right, here's my thing. Us, and, yeah. and
1: I'm really going to get in trouble now, but this is what okay, I'm going to say it. anyways, because that's how I roll. All right. Um, so, I think people like the idea of being really, really nerdy. So, they just say these things, and they, it's not, they're not true. Like, like what? Like VI or die. Oh, Emacs yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I mean, that's not an actual phrase. I don't. Know. I just couldn't think of one. But like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, oh, I that's only use one, VI yeah. for everything. Or like, oh, I only, what's the, there's like cult of something. I don't know. All these things, right? Like, yep. oh, I only use Emacs. And I'm sure there are people who do. And, and I'm, I'm sure that's legitimate. But I, I really feel like most people, it's not really true. Yeah. Right? Like, same thing as like, I remember there's all, there's all these people talk to like, oh, Linux this, Linux that. Linux. And it's like, what do you run at home? Like, oh, Windows.
0: <laughs> yeah, right it's yeah.
1: like like i don't have a problem with that. just like own up like if somebody makes something good it's good like don't you don't have to like oh it's made by microsoft it must be terrible
0: yeah like
1: yep. I oh, come on i mean if it's good it's good there it's is a, like, de-
0: a high level of zealotry with emacs and vi it's true a lot of people no, hate yeah.
1: like the iphone and the ipad like oh they're terrible right and it, and it's like in reality like okay fine you might think that but i think most people just it's oh it's because it's apple yeah it doesn't matter if Like, you could provably show that it was the best thing. Like, people would still, like, oh, it's Apple. It can't be good. And then vice versa, too. Other people were, like, oh, if it's not made by Apple, it's got to be terrible. Yeah. So I think nerds, like, for some reason, or geeks, like, really fall into this trap of, like, like we say we want to be
0: open-minded we want people to accept our thing but it's like in reality we try to like uh. i think everyone is though even like you could be i had a friend growing up who's really into skateboarding and he was always like oh you have a veriflex that's a piece of crap just because it's a veriflex you know what i mean so i think everybody who's like like really into something has this like brand loyalty but uh but yeah so the thing about tech though is tech is very functional so, like, to have brand loyalty for something that doesn't necessarily have a style or the style doesn't matter. Like, it's one thing to be like, I really like, you know, express jeans, And it's like, you do it knowing that they're not going to, like, make you walk faster, you know. <laughs> but 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 it's like, oh, I really like Emacs. And then it, for Fido was to make the argument, like, Emacs makes me a better coder, which I don't believe. then Then now you're putting, you know, you're putting like a... Uh, like uh, You're turning something that is like a style, like a personal preference into like, oh, I'm functionally like a better programmer. Well, but even
1: if people say like, oh, I'm more productive using Emacs and an IDE. But their problem is like, okay, well, like, you know, did you try all the IDEs? Well, no. Did you try one? Did you stick with it long enough? And if you kind of dig, it's like a lot of times like, well, yep. you know, I tried it for like a week and I just couldn't stand it. Well, I mean, <laughs> did you like pick up Emacs and start using it hyper productively within a week? No. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, I doubt it, right? Maybe if you're, like, some savant. I don't know. Maybe. But, like, no. Okay, anyways, my yes. tool of the week is Chrome week. Browser Sync. is pretty awesome. It's not really, like, a tool of the week. It's totally I'm sorry. a tool of the week. I totally cop out on all these. It's okay. Um, so I uh, no, really like
0: this. tool was awesome. I'm still using oh, I that. Oh, I downloaded good. it during the show. And you I'm said one sure. of our other tool of the week you were still using. Yeah, I'm still using KeePass. Yeah. So, yeah, so your, I, okay. your tools are a winner.
1: All right, yeah. all right. Better than Emacs. All right. Um,
0: <laughs> oh, I'm so I in bend trouble. I extend the olive
1: branch and I get my hand cut off. Man. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Anyways. Um, so Chrome browser thing. If you don't know, Chrome is a browser made by Google. Yep. And, um, and, and one feature that I, I've been using Chrome, and I, I like it. I mean, eh, but I, I, I like Chrome. And one feature that I've decided I really like is across my devices. Um, that if you have Chrome and you sign into it, which, yeah, I I mean, we can get to all the debate, but all right, whatever. So you sign into it and it'll synchronize your bookmarks. It'll synchronize, you can see what tabs are open from your other computers. um, And that's like a really good feature. And I think now like somebody's pointing either Firefox ships it like by default or it's an add-on or something, I, I don't remember. But that browser sync functionality in whatever browser, I happen to use Chrome so that's my tool of the week, but I, I, they may all have it by now. Yeah, or browser or sync is awesome. And now Turn it on. It's awesome. It even works with mobile. Right. So on my iPhone, I have the Chrome, and I can look at, what oh, what was that page I was looking up on my computer at home? And I just go, like, my home computer, and, like, oh, that
0: tab. Yep. You know, bring it open. It's amazing. Like, especially, I notice it a lot when I'm using directions. Like, I'll be at home, and I'll look up directions for a place. And then I don't want to, like, I mean, it's not a big deal to retype in the address, but it's so much easier to just pull up your phone and say, show me my desktop tabs, and the directions are there, like, done, ready to go. But how do you enter all those key combinations for
1: Emacs on your phone?
0: <laughs> oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm done with the last I, one. That last I one. hit I'm the done. escape key. I'm <laughs> done. I'll imagine if there was an Emacs editor for the phone, how hard that would be. It is just
1: a custom keyboard.
0: Yeah, that's true. You'd need Custom a keyboard, keyboard that had that had like control S or something it's like, like I, as a I'm key. sorry, I'm done with the joke.
1: Uh, anyways, browser sync. <laughs> All right. That's pretty funny. So, time so, for Book of the Show. Book, show, book of show, the show.
0: show. Show show. That was pretty awesome echo.
1: Okay, I'll go first. Yeah. You went
0: first last time. That echo did you write that in uh, in Emacs or was that a script on Audacity? I wrote it in C sound. <laughs> in C Sound? Um, okay, you guys can look that up all later. All right. Because so, <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't get the joke.
1: So, so my. Oh, oh, oh I, I was going to go first. No, I'm going oh, first. you go first. So, I don't have uh, programming. Um, Jason's is going to be related to our topics. So that's why he's going to go second. Okay. So, I, I, I'm, I like sci fi, science fiction. Totally. Uh, and fantasy as well. This one, I, it's science fiction, but it kind of. It's, yeah, a little bit of fantasy, kind of as well, but mostly science fiction. Um, and that is Anathem. This is a book by Neil Stevenson. It's really long. Like I mean, I, the whole time I've
0: warned you. I thought that I thought that I I misread this, and I thought it was Anthem by a- Ayn Rand. I thought that's where you were going with this. Okay, Anthem by <laughs> Neil Stevenson. <laughs> Sorry guys.
1: Okay. Uh, and um, it's it's a really long book. I don't. I think it's like uh, bordering on like a thousand pages or oh, something. Oh wow. Um. So here, at the paper book, paperback is nine hundred eighty-one pages. Wow. So it's really long, but it's it's really good. Um, so this is going to sound like, Patrick, why is this the best book? You have to stick it out through the first couple hundred pages. <laughs> so, first couple hundred pages are a little bit rough, but it is yeah. worth it. It's like a huge investment. But like when you make the investment of like, oh, okay, what's what's going on here? It's really I don't want to do any spoilers about what the so farther well, part of the story, but it starts off and you're in a monastery mm-hmm. and it just starts describing like a whole world, which is like slightly different than ours. And like you kind of begin to pick up that there's some things which are different, but kind of the same. And it just like really Neil Stevenson just goes into like great detail about like all the functioning of this monastery. And it's not lest you get confused. It's not like a religious monastery like you would think of today or in and you know in kind of our world. So you kind of got to stick with it and, and see. It's a it's something slightly different. Again, I'm trying not to give away because some people, you know, really want to have all that surprise of the book. Um, so I don't want to give more than even the back cover would say. Oh, but okay. I I'd check it out. It's really good. Um, and like I said, you got to stick it out for the first little bit. Um, yeah, because, it got good reviews. Yeah, it,
0: it's a little. You got to. St- you just know you're going to read the whole book. Like just commit. Like I'm going to read this whole book. And it's only eleven bucks. It's not bad. I mean, that's a, like. Uh what uh, a cent a page <laughs>
1: yeah so i mean you can
0: get on you know e
1: the kindle or whatever through amazon here is like six dollars oh even better it's good you know or even the mass market paperback i don't know what the difference is only nine dollars oh, um, yeah, right. so okay we're sitting so here like reading amazon prices on the air this is fascinating yeah. podcasting but check it out it's a really good i mean i really like it and if anybody has read it or does read it after this recommendation like let us know like any of the books oh that's a good point like you so should,
0: for people who bought the the book of the previous show and people who buy this book etc or are Already have it or whatever. Yeah, you Already have it. Um, you know, if you like the book or if you hate the book, let us know. So, yeah, I'd be curious to see if you have a better book. Are, let us know. Post on or if the you hate G-plus. this whole segment or <laughs> if you hate the show. Post on G. No, <laughs> if you um, so like you know, Some people might be like, oh, head first. You know, design patterns. Is decent, but I also really like this other design oh, book. Yeah. yeah, feel free to post on the G plus and start start a thread where you know you're only going to help out the rest of the community by by contributing. So. Yeah, and if you
1: want to leave a, a really horrible comment about what we should be fixing on iTunes, that's cool. Rate it five stars because those are the ones <laughs> yeah. we read,
0: and then just like tear it up. It's fine. Yeah, if we rate <laughs> if you rate it five stars, then uh, we'll mark it as useful. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> just kidding. Okay. So, All
1: right, sorry. Uh, so, so that's anathem by Neil Stevenson. Anathem, with an the I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. I'm not no, exactly right. sure. Okay, yeah, well, it was definitely not anthem. No,
0: because that's missing an A. So, um, it uh, my book is Hadoop: The Definitive Guide, and uh, I've actually been reading this book for a while now, um, trying to sort of understand more of the like Hadoop internals and and the way like Hadoop sort of does different things um, um, on the back end. Um, so, as somebody who like, I feel like I can call myself a MapReduce expert. Like, I might get destroyed for that by somebody who's like crazy expert. But I, I know a ton about MapReduce. I work a lot with like MapReduce and Hadoop internals and things like that. So, so you just um, set
1: yourself up. You know that, right? Yeah, I
0: know. I'll bring it on. I feel like I can take it. I wow. accept the challenge. All right. Unless, unless we get like Jeff Programming Dean or Satya, Gummowatt, the original creators of MapReduce, unless they uh, come. That would be awesome. Yeah, actually, I could take abuse from them. I'd be worth it, yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, you guys, that would be programmingthrowdown <laughs> at gmail.com or on our
1: G Plus page. All, <laughs> any Any of you want to say anything? Go ahead. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, I feel like I've been doing a lot with MapReduce. Well, uh, oh, we could have I, them on the show to argue with you. Oh, yeah, we should see. They're in the Bay Area somewhere, so. Okay. Yeah. All right. So... Um, so this book, even as somebody who does a lot of MapReduce and Hadoop, the book is incredibly useful. It's a great reference. It has a lot of examples. It, it really quickly answers the question, why do you use Hadoop, which we'll hopefully answer ourselves. But or it, it, it the explains book. it in a lot of detail. <laughs> and uh, it has a ton of extra content. So uh, if you like this show and you're interested in in Hadoop and you know things we talked about. This has a has a ton of great examples. So.
1: And it's got a cool elephant on the cover, dude. It's pretty epic. It must be awesome. Now, do you know why it has
0: an elephant on the cover? I think so Hadoop is the name of the creator's pet elephant toy. Yeah,
1: so, like his, his child's pet elephant toy. Oh his child's, okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: So so Hadoop wasn't created by a five year old whose pet elephant he named. That would it, okay. be epic. That would be pretty awesome. you the most epic five year old ever. So <laughs> that was you as a five-year-old. Oh, I wish. <laughs> yeah. um. uh,
1: okay, on onto on our programming language. Hadoop. Okay, so or, or, I have to I have to caveat that I said programming language. It's not really a programming language.
0: No, it's hadoop,
1: but that's okay because I noticed our title isn't programming language throwdown. I, oh. Like only hit me this week. Like, that's is that totally weird? Like, we've been true. doing twenty-three of these episodes now, yeah. and I never hit me like when we named a show. We talked about always like about programming languages, but really the title is programming throwdown. So, like, yeah. I mean,
0: and you're totally in our wheelhouse here. You could definitely throw down Hadoop versus like versus all reduce or spark or some of these other, you know, frameworks. So there's def, there's a throwdown to be had here. You, you already so. threw it down with Emacs, now throwing
1: down that you're an expert on Hadoop.
0: <laughs> Let's bring it. Yeah, get her done. <laughs> so. Hadoop. It's um, not even that late at did night. Did I tell you I'm actually getting No no we gotta say <laughs> I'm real quick, I'm, Okay, all right I'm getting a bib. So uh I want to get a bib for a baby. Like the kind your hose hooks up to on the faucet? No, no, like the kind where like they puke and it lands on the, the thing like that they wear or whatever. I wanna get one of those and I want it to say For I, you. For for me, and I want it to say I ate and made Hadoop. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm just getting the stare down from Patrick. I don't, I don't get it. I'll write in Emacs. I'll, let me think about it. Maybe if I start laughing in a few minutes. Okay. Well, it ends in OOP. Is it a poop joke? Yes, it is a poop joke. Okay, now I'm getting a different kind of stare. It's like a despondence. Okay, so let's give some history on Hadoop. Hadoop was based on MapReduce, which was something created by, as you mentioned, Jeff Dean and Sanjay, Sanjay Gamowat um, at Google. Um, so they created something called MapReduce um, they wrote out a paper explaining how MapReduce works and then Doug Cutting who is uh, another engineer somewhere in the Bay Area um, I think he made a startup is that right like he made yeah, his own and company and he was working on open source version of it he was inspired yep. by the paper right he right. began working on it and then at some point Yahoo either like bought his team or he joined Yahoo that was sometime around 2006-ish and so then he kept working on it while he was at Yahoo um, so he actually, the whole reason why he created Hadoop was because he wanted to support Lucene, which is an open-source reverse index. And we actually talked about Lucene in the mailbag episode of the show, answering the question um, posed by the person who wanted to um, create his own, uh, like he wanted to index the web for Magic: The Gathering. So yeah, Lucene, uh, you know, is a reverse index meant for indexing, you know, thousands, millions of pages. And Hadoop was something that Doug wrote to um, support that. So um, at the time, it was kind of meant for that, and it was sort of myopic. But since then, it's been uh, it's grown like uh, to an amazingly large scale. How and, uh, big? The last, uh, the largest Hadoop file system that we know of is uh, run by Facebook, and it is a hundred petabytes. Do you know how much a petabyte is? More than a terabyte. How much more than a terabyte? A hundred. A thousand. <laughs> Ten thousand. <laughs> that reminded me of that Monty Python where he's like, blue, I mean yellow. No. <laughs> so, yes, a petabyte is a thousand terabytes. So, all you guys have like a terabyte hard drive at home. So, a thousand of those, that's what. No, a hundred thousand of them. Well, yeah, you're right. It has to be more than that. A hundred thousand petabytes.
1: A hundred thousand terabytes.
0: Wouldn't it be a Would million? be a hundred petabytes. A hundred. Oh, right, 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 Yeah. So Facebook has a hundred thousand um, of those of those hard drives that, that they're using to store all their. Well, of the data at least. So yeah. it might
1: be it might be replicated.
0: That's true, right? I mean, so that's just one. And that's copy. only
1: that's only what they've owned up to. They may have bigger. Yeah, that's true. They may be lying, right? Like it might be actually be smaller. Yep. Or it could even be like that. You know, somebody else has one that's like, you know, just way bigger, and they just don't want to talk about. It. I mean, this stuff. this uh, is it's a competitive advantage.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Okay, so you want to discuss some of the some of the features? What are the things that? So you know, one thing we should mention in the beginning is Hadoop has become almost like an umbrella term. So Hadoop is the MapReduce for sort of for doing this distributed processing, but people also refer to Hadoop um, as this collection of of tools with Hadoop being one of the things in Hadoop which is really confusing. But let's talk about some of the other features, some of the other tools that come with Hadoop.
1: Also changing my answer again. I I was, I was being silly. It's 1024, right? Isn't it? Cuz isn't it a oh, power of 2? Yeah.
0: yeah, you're right. <laughs> we have no
1: idea what we're doing.
0: Oh man. So yeah, there's So okay, Anyways. so
1: so let's do a little bit first, so map reduce. Okay. So we we use this term a little
0: uh, oh, maybe true. prematurely. So what what is map reduce? So yeah, I'll try and explain MapReduce. <clears throat> um, yeah, I, that's a good point. So first of all, let's, let's do a little bit about distributed computing. Um, back in the day, uh, people used to do, um, and they still do, but, but people used to be only consumed with MPI and things like that. MPI stands for Message Passing Interface. And so if you had a lot of data, and you wanted to do something with that data, you would break the data up into pieces, then you would pass each piece to a different computer, and then um, the computers would probably like send you back some results and you would put the results together. Um, and then if you sent, if you passed the message to a computer and it died, your whole process would blow up. Well, or, you would or, have
1: to have code to handle
0: it. Yeah, or you had to say, oh, this machine died, so I need to like pass the message to somebody else. And so you had to be completely consumed with all of these like meta things that didn't really matter to solving what you wanted to solve, right? So... Um, So it turns out that not every problem can be what's called embarrassingly parallel, where you just send chunks of data to different machines, but almost all algorithms can be implemented using something called MapReduce. And so the idea is you have, you take your data, you break it up into chunks, then for each chunk you execute a map on the chunk, which takes this chunk of data, could be a sentence on a web page, or it could be a URL, or it could be you know, any, any you know, atom of data, and then returns a key value pair. So, for example, let's say you wanted to count the, uh, you wanted for every word on the internet to figure out how many times that word is there. So, your map could take a page of the internet and it could scan through that page and then spit out a bunch of key value pairs where the key is the word and the value is the number of times you saw it on that page. So if you saw like the fox jumped over the dog, then there's two thes. So one of your key value pairs would be the comma two. Another one would be fox comma one, et cetera. So now all of these key value pairs generated by all these mappers, they're all kind of floating somewhere on, on, in your cluster. So you have something called a shuffle that takes all of the keys that are in common and all the key value pairs that have the same key and squishes them together. So if you have ten websites with Fox as the key, you'll just have one key with Fox and then instead of a value now you'll have a list of values where that list is how many times Fox was seen on all these websites. Then you have, that's the shuffle phase, then you have the reduce phase where you collapse that key list of values down to one answer. So in this example, you would take Fox and then two, one, two, one, two, three, two, four, and you would add up all those numbers together and you would say, for Fox for the whole internet, it's whatever, 13 million or something like that. And uh, the, co- the cool thing about this is that all these pieces can happen in parallel. Like the part that collapses, all of the Fox values and the part that collapses all the bear values could happen on two different machines. And the part that scans website A and scans website B can happen on two different machines, and uh, it all just kind of works. And so, as long as you're, and the MapReduce code also handles all these things like, oh, you know, the machine that was processing Fox dies, we need to send Fox to another machine. They've dealt with all that for you, so you don't have to do it. So that's that's a short summary of MapReduce. <laughs> and Hadoop is an open source version of this. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, part of this is going
1: to be if you're going to... You set, you kind of started with something that was a little bit uh, presumptuous, dare okay. I say, which is you start with everybody reading all the tasks, reading one page of the Internet. That's I'm, Where do you store something that's every page of the Internet? You can't just, like, store that, like, on a NTFS or, you know, right, EXT... Right you know, it, you know, a file partition like this the, I mean, <laughs> so It's so like, big Yeah, I mean, well not only the size is large but the number of files is ridiculous Oh
0: yeah, right So
1: you could run into problems So, I mean, one thing that has to go along with this is you have to have a distributed file system So, yep. first of all, you can't house all the data on one computer Right But then on top of that even like how you would access it in a way that is efficient so that you can have these tens, hundreds, thousands, millions of map threads working on this you need a way to be able to retrieve that quickly and reliably and in a sharded manner so that you know that can take place very quickly and and they've handled that as well with the Hadoop file system.
0: Yep, totally. Yep, so the uh, the Hadoop file system uh, operates in 64 megabyte chunks and that chunk could have one file in it, it could have a piece of a file, it could have 10,000 files in it if the files are very small and so versus you know a regular file system which Uses you know B trees and red black trees and things like that. This uses something totally different that's meant for you know gigantic files, millions of tiny files, all of these things, um, and it expects you to access the files using something like Hadoop, versus you know a file system which doesn't really know how you're going to access the files. Yeah. There's also HBase. HBase is a um, column oriented database written in Hadoop, so. You know, whereas HDFS is a file system, um, HBase is a database. So if you need to, you know, get rows by key, and if you need to find all keys where the first name is this, if you need to do all the secondary indices, all that stuff, but you still need the distributed coolness from HDFS, uh, which HBase is built on, um, then you can use HBase and get that. Yep.
1: So all this code that's running, I mean, if we begin to talk about hundreds, thousands of servers, or even more, I don't know how
0: high, how high you could go, how <laughs>
1: high do you want to go, I guess. Um, you're going to have to way to keep this. So machines are going to die. If you talk about that many machines, and some of this data can take a long time to process, I mean, machines are going to die. You might want to add new machines. You want to increase your capacity. I mean, that would be a huge mess yep. in the, old, in the old, you know, olden days. Where are I going to do that? I mean,
0: yeah. I if mean imagine if you're doing do AI and you yeah. have to deal with that, right? I mean, it would take you months to have to deal with the, oh, this machine died. So I'm going to send it to that machine, right? I mean, it's just, it would, that that's, it could be such a nightmare, right? Or, or what if the machine that's sending the things dies? I mean, you don't want to have to restart the whole thing just because of that. So dealing with that, right? Yeah, that could be a nightmare, and so, um, so Hadoop's thing which handles that is called Zookeeper, going along the lines of like pet animals and things like that. <laughs> and so, yeah, Zookeeper is a distributed coordination service. And so, in like really short, what that means is somebody can write some data to Zookeeper, and uh, somebody else, if they write, try to write data, and the data collides, Zookeeper sort of figures all that out. So that if like if two machines both want to take the same job at the same time, ZooKeeper says, no, look, only one of you guys get this job, things like that. Yeah. So like we said, I mean, Hadoop is kind of, when people talk about, they're kind of talking
1: about all these kind of tools, which are kind of all necessary to, to get together and enable you to be able to run those MapReduces. reduces. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, kind of now, I, talking about the strengths, one of the things that like, we talked about is you bring up more computers, great, <laughs> you, you know, you can have more threads and the threads can run, on, they can run sooner, they don't have to be serialized. Yep. And so, I mean, it, really, you can just scale this dot, dot, dot. You yeah, know, like totally. Just, you know, whatever, like, uh, however much, I guess, time or money you have <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. determines, uh, you know, how big you can go or you need to go or have to go.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you could be on using the Amazon Web Services, which run Hadoop, right? So um, they
1: have a, a version that they've altered, I guess, or changed. Or this not Elastic, web elastic yeah. MapReduce or whatever, right? Yeah, right. Which is is very similar, yeah. So they have a they have their version which runs on their infrastructure. So they have so like you know, for instance, they may not. I don't. I think the way it works on. I'm, I'm speaking a little out of uh, my expertise here, but it's, you know, instead of having like a Hadoop file system, they have their right. version of the same thing, right? Their Elastic file storage which they kind of uh, hide from you so you don't have to worry about it. you just put data there and you can run the elastic map produce, which runs on that so it's very similar and shares a lot of stuff with Hadoop, it, but it's not, it isn't exactly the same.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know if it uses the same API or how that works, but. I don't know. Yeah, but, Didn't um, look into that. <laughs> no, yeah, I haven't done that with Amazon. But the, uh, <clears throat> the other cool thing is it's fault tolerance. So, you know, all these crazy corner cases that you'd have to code up yourself, they've done that for you. And they'll even do crazy things that you wouldn't think about doing. But like one thing Hadoop will do is, let's say you have 20 machines that uh, are in your little Hadoop cluster, right? And you're running a job, and you and Hadoop detects, the zookeeper detects you're only running one job. And the job had eight workers, like eight, you know, let's say there's eight mappers. So Hadoop will say, well, you know, if one of these machines dies, you have to like start the whole thing over again. So let's just run, like, since you only have eight, let's just duplicate all this work. Like run it on two machines, and if one of them dies, it's okay. Or another thing they'll do is, they'll know, oh, you, know, you might be able to like pass some data or you might be able to arrange and do a little bit of the reducing in the mapper. Like these crazy optimizations that like we don't really think about because we're too busy focused on the algorithm. They've done all that grunt work, you know, and they've done all these awesome optimizations, sort of like using C++ instead of assembly, right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, the same. <laughs> yeah, like MPI is like so low level that like you just have to end up doing like way too much,
1: and that feeds into uh, one of the features I, I skipped over that that you were particularly a little bit passionate about, crunch.
0: Oh yeah, So you want to talk about crunch? Patrick's actually used used crunch quite a bit.
1: Yeah, well, you overstate, <laughs> sir. I, I I am not so emblazonedly bold to say that, <laughs> uh, but okay, not as not to call you a liar, but I'll just. Uh, Okay, Um, (laughs) so what Crunch is, is is Crunch allows you to, uh, instead of having to use the kind of off-the-shelf nature of a lot of the stuff that MapReduce does or kind of fit into their paradigm, kind of even going again on on what Jason said and extending it even a little further, even more flexibility in how you do these things and just allow the computer to handle it, right, the computers to -hmm. handle it, just say, you take care of this, right? So, Crunch is an API for allowing you to, at an even higher level, say, like, here's generally the data flow I want, and here's the operations I want to perform. And, all right, go.
0: <laughs> and so, um,
1: if you if you kind of drew out like, oh, I need the data; these two data things need to flow together. I need to do some operation on them, and then once that's done, I make some calculation, and then I need that to flow with another piece of data, you know. And then I want to kind of join those together in like an inner join fashion or something, right? Like all these kinds of notions could become. There are like multiple MapReduce Hadoop jobs that we need to run. And there are things that you might have to string together very carefully. But Crunch allows you to just kind of specify like, these are the way I want it to do. And it'll handle like, oh, I could merge these two together and run them at the same time. Um, Or, oh, I need to spin up a new Hadoop run for this thing or for that thing. And it kind of allows you to do that much more simply and easily and in a way that's flexible and just allowing the computer to handle it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and crunch feels more like Java, you know, because you have these like uh, p-tables, which are basically like, they feel a lot like hash maps in Java, so you can kind of take your existing Java code and if you need it to run on like a thousand machines, you know, it's not just a copy paste or you can't just change hash map to p-table, there's more to it than that, but it, 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 um, it has things like get all the values. Like get a list of all the values that exists in hash map and also in P table, and so it kind of feels more like. Uh... Like like you're like you're just doing native Java, so it's good for people who want to get started mm. with Hadoop and aren't used to writing this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, it's so that idea like P table or P group table, and it allows you to say like, oh, on everything in that, you know, in parallel, do this thing, right? Like yep. go through and perform some operation. So that's what I was kind of talking, about, maybe a little too high of a level. No. But uh, yeah, you know, that's how you know you kind of it gives you this uh, API, but it really is. Uh, kind of almost, an ex- you know, classes and things that make it just look like, to Jason's point, it looks like you're writing Java code on some fancy, you know, hash map. And in reality, you're instructing Crunch to, in the backend, figure out how to arrange the MapReduces and the to, to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. So there are some weaknesses to MapReduce. No. Um, <laughs> I know, you After think, we sang the praises? You think it would be just a panacea that would just be a cure-all, but no. Uh, one of the problems with MapReduce, is it takes a long time to spin up and spin down and so what, what What we mean when we say that is spin up refers to for example let's say you're building a multi-threaded program so the first thing you'll do is make the thread pool and actually ask the operating system for the threads so that's kind of like our spin up time right and so to ask the operating system for some threads happens in what? milliseconds? maybe even less than that? microseconds? but to ask MapReduce for a hundred machines to do work on, uh, you know, or to ask like to ask a Hadoop zookeeper for a hundred machines is going to take you know on the order of seconds at least. I mean, it really just depends on your cluster, but it's not going to take miller or microseconds, right? So if you have, you know, a MapReduce job that that uh, adds two numbers, like t- goes through two files and then adds the numbers together, and the files are a meg each. You might just want to do that in C++, (laughs) you know, because by the time you spin up the machines, you know, send little, send numbers to the machines and, you know, then uh, compute the result and then store the results somewhere, yeah, your C++ program would have run like 40,000 times or something. So there is a problem there. Yeah, there is something called worker pools. And the idea is, you know, if I have a job that I want to run over and over again, I can sort of prep Hadoop, and I can say, "Look, Hadoop, you're going to do this thing a hundred times, so get ready for that." And then it'll do some optimizations there.
1: Also, we talked about all these wonderful things of bringing on new computers and bringing down computers, and all these stages and divided, and just oh, do this little bit of work, and then do this little bit of work, and that helps it be really scalable. But, I mean, as you can imagine, all the data that's in your program, all those classes and everything need to be able to be serialized out. And yeah. then when they're read back in, they need to be deserialized. And sometimes, you know, the, oh, it can be say like, oh, I'm going to do this on the same machine. But a lot of times you have to do it anyways, because you don't know, like, oh, am I going to be doing this on the same shard or not? Or is it going to go somewhere else? Yeah. And so it's just a, like, if that s- takes a long time, because you have s- especially some nasty intricacies, it, it could be a problem. But even in just in
0: general, like, that's going to be overhead. Yeah. And then the other thing, and there's some theoretical reasons why this is true that I'm not going to get into because it takes a long time, but, but uh, there's excessive, there's a lot of materialization. So, you know, each of your mappers, going back to our Word account example, each of those things that scans one page of the web has to put those results, all those key value pairs, on disk, on that Hadoop file system. And then the reducer, the the shuffler, sorry, that's putting together all the keys has to read those from disk and then put the reduced key values lists on disk. And then the reducer has to read from disk and then put the answer on disk, right? If you were just writing some C++ program, you would just put everything in memory. Or maybe you would only put a bit of that on disk, like one stage of that on disk. So there's a lot of disk I.O. when you're using Hadoop. Um, There are some tools to sort of make uh, Hadoop a little easier to use. Um, One of them is uh, Pig, Pig and Hive. And so they're they're good for, if you don't want to have to write Hadoop, like raw Hadoop code, you can just put your data in Hive or put your data in a flat file, like a text file. Then you use something like Pig or Hive. They have their own programming languages, which are much more terse than uh, Hadoop.
1: Yeah, I mean, with a lot of these things, that's uh, planning can take a long time, even, right? It's like figuring out, like, oh, how how exactly do I want to divide my data? W- yep. you know, getting my data into the right place in the right format. Um, you know, that can take a that can take a lot of time. Yeah, totally. And so tool- these tools will help you with that. Yep.
0: Uh,
1: so, um, we have Avro. Yeah. I have no idea what that does. So that's
0: gonna be all you, buddy. Oh, Avro is like uh, Thrift. It's like a serialization. Oh, okay, thing. okay. All right. yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about this. Okay. Yeah,
1: totally. I'm reading your point,
0: so... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. So, uh, so, what is Hadoop used for? What is MapReduce used for? Everything? Everything. Everything? I think there was, uh, in the white paper, on ma- the original white paper on MapReduce, they said that it was, I don't remember, I think it was over half of computations at Google were part of a MapReduce. I think it was some very large number. Oh, interesting. But, yeah. So, and Google is, like, a huge company, so... Uh, You know, and I think I'm pretty sure Facebook and all these companies uh, have probably similar statistics. It's kind of interesting to see
1: what companies will say what, right? It's kind of like a little bit of a game like, oh, hey, we're doing this. (laughs) Well, we're doing, you know, and then, but you know, it's like who knows, like how, what percentage of the actual value those things are. They're just like kind of one upping each other. Yeah. But only like slightly, and the others are just keeping quiet in the corner. And it's like, oh, are they embarrassed? Or like, do they like, oh, this is, this is ridiculous. I'm just <laughs> laughing, right? Like, yeah, exactly. It is kind of interesting. But I mean, no, seriously, I mean, MapReduce, it, it pops up all over the places. Like, um, yep. You know, even for doing like image processing, like, oh, you want to like do a whole bunch of, you know, look for objects in something or you want to run the same little algorithm on things. I mean, people have done MapReduce to do that. Yep. People have done MapReduce, even for like, I, I saw one guy who was writing a little bit of a tutorial. Like, I think he was trying to convert like old PDFs and like do I- OCR on them. Like you had a whole bunch of them. Like oh. each uh, page of a, you know, old books that had been scanned was like a, either just an image or a PDF. And you want to do like OCR on all of them, right? And like and then put them somewhere. But like you could imagine like if you have millions and millions of these pages, like, it would just be a nightmare yeah. to figure out like a C++ framework and structure or Java you know, structure to kind of do that. That could just, I mean, it could take a long time. But that, I mean, that's right in the wheelhouse of, of MapReduce.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, there's a ton of things you can do with MapReduce. The biggest thing is, you know, especially as sort of like, let's say you're an indie developer, you're just developing writing code out of your house, right? But you want to do really big data kind of things. Like, for example, let's say you have a website, and you have a few thousand people on your website, and you're capturing all their clicks and things like that. Let's just take, let's say your website has a thousand people a day, and each person click, like on average there's a thousand people, and each person clicks once a minute. So there's how many minutes in a day? I don't know. (laughs) Let's just say they click once in a day. Okay, So you have a thousand clicks a day. That's still 30,000 clicks a month. So if you wanted to go back through a year's worth of data, that's what, 365,000 clicks. Um, That's a lot of data. And so you you don't even want to do that on your machine because it's going to take forever. So if you wrote a MapReduce, you could say, um, you know, run it on your machine on like one day's data, make sure it works, and then say, look, Amazon, you know, you have this Elastic Cloud, it's totally awesome, you know, chug on this data, like run this MapReduce that I wrote and you know Amazon will charge you however much that costs maybe five bucks or something sure to, to uh-huh. run or you it do it accidentally it.
1: the wrong way and then uh how do you do that I don't know <laughs> okay. it just like accidentally misconfigured something and like it's really big no I mean, oh and then they char- <laughs> It's like some really really out- outlandishly large number
0: oh no I hope that doesn't happen uh, you
1: probably can set a budget I'm sure
0: I'm sure like, yeah okay. but uh but yeah and then all of a sudden now you can run that same program on a thousand computers that you don't have to own so it's pretty awesome
1: all right, well, I think, uh, I think that's a wrap for, for this episode.
0: Yeah, Hadoop is great. Learn it, it's fantastic. We hope you will have or will have had a good Christmas. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, in the future, we hope Christmas will be awesome. Will have been awesome. Will have been awesome. That's pretty, pretty wild. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, till next time. See you later. The intro music is Axo by Binar Pilot.